Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome to Carolina Newsmakers. Delighted to be back with you again this week. And I've been looking forward to this program for some time because everyone is interested in airlines and airports. And we have a person who has 20, uh, what, 22 years, I think, of experience at the Raleigh-Durham Airport as its CEO, and that's Michael Langrup. And Michael, welcome to the program. Delighted to have you with us. And uh, I've got a thousand good questions for you. All right. Well, thanks, Tom. First of all, thanks for allowing me to come on the program. Well, delighted because everyone is always interested in what's happening at the airport. Uh, let's start off with, I know you've got something called Vision 240, 2040. I'm assuming that's the year 2040. But tell us a little bit about that and uh, take plenty of time and go into all the details you want to. Sure. So Vision 2040 is our long-term airport infrastructure plan. So as part of that planning process, we try to figure out how many customers are going to be coming through the facilities, how many airlines are going to be flying into the airport, and then we develop the infrastructure around those forecasts to make sure that we've got the infrastructure in place to support the long-term growth. So some of the key projects that came out of that planning process, the first was the replacement of our long runway. Uh, we refer to as what we call five left, two, three right, which is the magnetic compass headings that a pilot would fly for the runway. That runway was built, current runway, so if you're sitting in Terminal 2 and you're looking out towards the airfield, that runway was built in 1980. And so we want to replace that runway, going to push it about 550 feet out from its current location and build a 10,639-foot runway. Uh, That existing runway will then be converted into a taxiway, and that starts to open our airfield up, which allows us to get into a gate program at Terminal 2. Right now, I can't build out the terminal until I push that runway out about 550 feet. Uh, We're looking at a 19 to 20 gate expansion at Terminal 2. As part of that master planning process, we're also looking at probably a 12 to 15 gate expansion over at Terminal 1. Uh, We're looking at some improvements from a roadway standpoint so we can reduce the congestion coming to the airport itself. And we're also looking at developing what we call a ground transportation center. So we have a lot of commercial vehicles that come to the airport and they have a tendency to all come at the exact same time and kind of clog up in front of the front of the terminals itself. And so this would be a central location within our decking, makes it very convenient for the customers to come out of the terminals, go to this ground transportation center if they're taking commercial operators like an Uber, a Lyft, a taxi cab, public transportation, any form of ground transportation. So those are some of the key significant projects we, kind of, we have as part of uh, Vision 2040. The investment we anticipate right now between now and 2032 is about a $2.8 billion investment. And there's an additional $2 billion plus beyond that to reach your 2040 uh, timeline. But so those are some of the key projects we've got as part of Vision 2040. Now, currently, how many, uh, uh, COVID sort of changed everything. And so I guess you can sort of talk in terms of both pre-COVID and after COVID. And interestingly enough, a number of our stations across the state are served by either the Greensboro Airport or the Charlotte Airport, but the problems I suspect are pretty much the same at all the airports in North, uh, the major airports, the three major airports in North Carolina. So a lot of the things that you're saying, I guess, would also uh, be uh, a concern to those airports as well. Do you know of uh, uh, the expansion plans of either Greensboro or Charlotte? 
I don't know specifically of their expansion plans, but I do know that uh, like most airports across the country, everybody's in an expansion plan, expansion effort at this point in time. Uh, again, trying to make sure that the capacity is there. Uh, the total number of uh, customers that travel through the United States continues to grow. And so airports are trying to meet that long-term demand to make sure they've got enough runways, enough taxiways, enough uh, terminals, enough roadway capacity. Uh, but it is a very great time to be in uh, aviation because there's growth and development that's going on. I started uh, uh, just a moment ago to ask you about uh, the number of passengers that are using the airport. And if you would sort of compare it with pre-COVID, the COVID period and the present COVID period, I mean, yeah, the present know, period. And you know, that's an interesting cycle we went through. And, and I'm sure that Charlotte and Greensboro and some of the other airports in North Carolina went through a similar trend. If you look around the 2019 timeframe, we had a total of almost 14 million customers that came through uh, RDU. We got into 2020, we had lost 96% of our customers. Uh, and that was pretty common across the entire country. Matter of fact, across the entire world, because we didn't quite know how to deal with a pandemic uh, from COVID-19. Uh, it wasn't until probably mid, probably around the July timeframe, 2021, that we probably recovered to about 50% of that, what I call high watermark number in 2019. Uh, and at that point in time, it looked like we were starting to really kind of take off. Um, the last year we were about 12.5 million total customers. And it looks like uh, at the end of this year, we are on track for close to 15 million customers. So the, the high watermark, the largest number of customers coming through RDU is 2019. We think we will surpass that and be close to almost 15 million customers. Uh, just to give you an idea this year alone, so far through this physical year, our fiscal year begins in April 1, we're up almost 23% in terms of total customers for the year alone. And we've had a record year in terms of overall recruitment. To give you an idea what's happening here at RDU in terms of total number of customers and, and additional destinations, we've added 22 new destinations, 47 new flights since February of 2023. That is definitely a record. That is a significant amount of additional service. And that's why you're seeing a 23% growth in terms of overall uh, customer uh, usage of our facilities. Now, when you say you have 15 million customers, how many of those are doing <coughs> connecting flights and how many of those actually originate from the Raleigh-Durham area? Well, you know, it's interesting. The model has changed a little bit at RDU. It used to be majority of those were connecting to a hub. So you fly from RDU to Atlanta or Charlotte and you would connect on. But as we've started to recruit airlines like Avello and Breeze and some of these ultra low cost carriers, they're not flying to hubs. They're doing a lot more point to point type flying. So I'm not sure of the exact percentage, but we are seeing a shift of more traffic that's going to uh, specific destinations without having to travel over a hub. Uh, let's uh, just for the curiosity of those in the Raleigh-Durham area in eastern North Carolina, the 22 new destinations, uh, I know you probably don't have them all at the top of your uh, at the top of the tongue, but uh, what are some of the new destinations that are being served and are most of these nonstop? Uh, yeah, so I'll give you an example. One that we're very proud of is uh, the recent announcement of Lufthansa Airlines providing nonstop service into Frankfurt, Germany. They'll begin that service with an A330 for the large airplane, uh, and that will start in uh, June of 2024. So that was a big pickup for us. Uh, we also had kind of a switch out of a carrier. 
the, the people that are listening may not understand a lot about airline industry in terms of what we call uh, different alliances. So, for example, the One World Alliance is American Airlines with um, 10 to 15 different other airlines that make part of that package. But it's a seamless process. When you book on American, you, you'll book direct through those other airlines. We added a third alliance, which is the Star Alliance with Lufthansa coming into the market, which was very, very powerful. Um, we also got Delta Airlines, who was flying the Paris service. They've now switched that service out with um, Air France, and they, they have a co-chair arrangement. So you can still go to Delta Airlines, still book on that, still earn your miles. But there's a revenue sharing uh, that's occurred ever since 2016, and that market has done exceptionally well. We've also introduced a couple of low-cost carriers, companies like Avello, uh, going into Fort Myers, Fort Lauderdale, uh, West Palm Beach, Sarasota, just to name a few. And they're what we call an ultra-low-cost carrier. And so they're really trying to target the leisure market. And so for families and friends trying to go see loved ones or go on vacation, it's a great alternative. And of course, Breeze Airways, a gentleman by the name of Mr. David Nealman, who started JetBlue. He also started three other airlines for a total of four other airlines. This is his fifth airline that he started. When they came into the market, they went to Hartford, New Orleans and Providence, uh, Columbus, Los Angeles. They've done exceptionally well in the market. And again, new entrants coming in, uh, new ultra low cost carriers trying to keep fares down for our customers. And I think that's the great thing about RDU is we have 16 different airlines all competing for our customers within our region to provide competitive fares so you can have uh, great fares and hopefully nonstop service to different destinations. But how many not, uh, international flights do we now have at uh, Raleigh-Durham? We now have eight international nonstop destinations. So we're pretty proud about that. Four of those are transatlantic all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. So you've got the Frankfurt service by Lufthansa. You've got Air France flying into Paris. You got the American service going into London. And of course, you've got Iceland Air that's going to Reykjavik, Iceland. Interesting thing about Iceland, they started off with about three days a week flying. That service has done so well. They've accelerated that. And during the summer of 2024, they will go to daily service. So that speaks a lot about the demand for international travel that we have in our community for international destinations all going over to over the Atlantic into Europe uh, is really a strong message about what we're seeing for growth. We're a very diverse population with people traveling all over the world right from this region. Do you have any data on how much of this uh, travel these days is business and how much is leisure? So I think what we're starting to see is the industry is starting to kind of change a little bit. Uh, I would say we were probably north of 50 percent of the customers historically in 2019. They were probably business and probably from a revenue standpoint, that number was even higher than 50 percent. As we've talked to our airline partners, what we've seen is only about 80 percent of the business travelers in the past have actually come back that, you know, whether it's Zoom, like we're on today, Teams meetings, those types of things are working remotely. People, businesses are not having to travel as much. What has replaced that has been the leisure market. And talking to some of the airlines, they're seeing a 130% increase in overall uh, leisure demand. So the leisure market's really uh, starting to drive the demand. And we're seeing that, especially during the summer months when people want to travel for vacation or they want to travel for a holiday. Uh, it's really seen a big surge. And that's why you've seen all these new airlines uh, all this additional capacity coming in, a lot of it's driven by the leisure. 
I'm fascinated with the flights to uh, Iceland because I would not have thought uh, if someone had asked me what uh, demand there would have been to Iceland. Is most of that leisure or is most of that uh, business travel? So I think what they've done is they've introduced a service into a destination that most people probably said this is a once in a lifetime trip and they recognize that. And so what they do is they provide you the opportunity to get off that airplane and stay there for up to seven days and no additional charge to then get back on an airplane and flow over to Europe. And so what we've seen is we think the initial surge of those customers was simply going to Iceland. But now we think it's about 50-50 that 50% of those people are flowing on into Europe. I think they've got 40 plus different destinations you can actually connect to from Reykjavik into Europe. And so they were very successful with their business model is let me introduce you into Iceland and then also let me give you an opportunity to stay there for a couple of days and flow beyond with no additional charge. And they have very competitive fares uh, flowing into Europe. That's fascinating and uh, really interesting. To, I, I can see the advantage of it to pass through on over to Europe. That makes a lot of sense. Michael Langa is our guest. He's the president and CEO of the Raleigh-Durham International Airport. And we've got lots of other questions to ask uh, Michael when we return uh, about uh, air travel and uh, what's going to happen uh, in the foreseeable future as far as air travel. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. They are our cuddlers and co-workers, purr machines and love bugs, and constant companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life so much better. When we face unexpected challenges in life, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people who love their pets and the pets who love their people, ensuring these families stay exactly where they belong, together. And you have something to offer. With an open heart and mind, there is nothing you can't do. There's no gesture too small or too big when it comes to helping. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. You can help keep pets and people together. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. This has been a public service announcement brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? <gasps> Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Michael Lenga. He is the president and CEO of the Raleigh-Durham International Airport. And guess what? We're talking about airports. The, you know, the airline industry has been fascinating ever since its uh, inception in the state of North Carolina, by the way. Uh, uh, but uh, so it's, it's ups and downs. What are some of the ups and downs that have we have seen through the years in the development of airlines and all the mergers and all that sort of thing. Just sort of give us a overall history of the ups and downs and where the airline industry stands today with its 
current sets of problems and opportunities. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. That industry, you go all the way back to 1960, and you'll see this roller coaster ride of all the different things that have impacted this industry. So you have geopolitical things that have occurred across the world, you know, wars across the world that impact the airline industry. You have pandemics that have hit this industry, fuel issues that have hit this industry. There's a ton of things that have hit it, but I will tell you, it's it's a very resilient industry. And even after COVID, when airlines lost, um, you know, not just billions, but trillions of dollars, they have now found a way to come back from that and are back flying again and are profitable. They've done quite well. And I think uh, you saw as people were going through that pandemic, how much people value the travel experience, being able to go see their loved ones, being able to go uh, see a new destination and have that experience. And so it's a very resilient model. Uh, I think the airlines are starting to get a strong footing from a profitability standpoint. I will tell you, we are starting to see a little bit of some, uh, maybe some over-concentration of uh, aircraft and airlines in the Florida market. If you remember when we came out of pandemic, where was everybody heading to? They were heading into Mexico. They're heading out west to open areas. They're heading into Florida. And I think some of that's going to sift out in the Florida markets. And you're going to see some of that kind of get retracted. Uh, you're also starting to see some headwinds that the airlines have got. One's going to be, you know, fuel prices are going up a little bit. Uh, there's also expenses from a labor standpoint that are going up. But again, the airline industry has always found a way to continue to fight their way through these headwinds, uh, have a profitable pro- product, and provide a good service to our customers that want to travel literally all over the world to experience things. Uh, so I think they're still in good standing at this point, uh, and I'm optimistic about where the industry is heading. The size of planes seems to be a, a sort of a interesting thing that airline industry has faced. In some cases, they want bigger planes. In other cases, it looks like uh, more moderate-sized planes, which are lighter and, more, I guess, more economical to fly. What do you see as far as the size of the planes? Are they going to continue to get larger or smaller? Yeah, so if you would look at the industry 20 years ago, what they were doing is going to much smaller aircraft, 50-seat regional aircraft. They're going out to very small communities and then coming into hubs, right? Now what we're starting to see with the pilot shortage that is uh, in front of the airlines is they're starting what we call upgauge. And upgauge means airplanes are getting much larger. And so I just share with my team today when I was looking at some statistics for the next six months, you're seeing operations like the number of aircraft coming in down seven to 10 percent, but overall seat capacity up. And what that tells you is that they're flying larger airplanes in to carry more people, but maybe with a little bit less frequency. And I think that's what you're starting to see across the country. That then opens up an opportunity. So if I'm a legacy carrier and I provide less frequency and maybe not go into those smaller markets, it provides opportunities for the Avellos of the world, the breezes of the world that fly in our market then find those routes that are not being flown by the major airlines and try to fly those with point-to-point service. And so the model continues to evolve. Uh, They continue to get more fuel efficient uh, airplanes and engines uh, into the system itself uh, to try to get better efficiency, but they continue to figure out how to reinvent themselves to be profitable and fly people safely. It still continues to be the safest mode of transportation uh, to get around it. You mentioned pilot shortage. How severe is that problem, and do you how do you see that being eliminated? Wow. So I think it depends upon where you sit. So if you think about the evolution, you know, a lot of times the airline industry 
probably 15 years ago, got their pipeline from the military, a large portion of their pipeline. Uh, I think now a lot of that's probably starting to dry up. Uh, the mainline carriers uh, have relationships with what they call regional feeders. And so if you're a pilot wanting to get into the business, typically you'll start at a regional carrier, find a 50 seat, 90 seat airplane, you'll build your time up and get an opportunity to then get hired by the major airlines. And so the major carriers, what they're doing is they're basically getting, uh, they're, they're reaching into those regional airlines and providing opportunities for those regional pilots to move quicker into those seats for the mainline carrier. That makes it very challenging for those regional carriers because their pipeline is starting to dry up a little bit. So you're starting to see that they can't fly as much as they would like to because there's not enough pilots. A lot of the airlines have developed relationships with universities, universities like Embry-Riddle, where I went to school, uh, North Dakota State, Auburn University. They're developing these relationships to develop a pipeline for a student to go through that academic program directly into uh, you know, flying um, a commercial airline for a regional carrier. Uh, Lufthansa, uh, one of our uh, business partners here at RDU, they've actually got a flight academy out in Arizona. So they actually develop and groom. And so it's not necessarily university, but it's taking people directly into becoming pilots. And they take them from almost zero time into a commercial pilot, into an air, air transport pilot, and they build their hours up and then put them into their, their regional fleet that then builds into uh, their uh, mainline carrier fleet. So all the airlines have started to recognize this and each one of them is trying to develop an opportunity. Uh, I think they've also pushed wages up. Uh, as you well know, as you start to move those labor wages up, it has a tendency to get more people interested uh, into the industry itself. Um, but I think they're focused on that. Um, just like everybody else across the country, uh, everybody's struggling to hire and retain talent. Uh, I think they're trying to find the solution that they can be successful in terms of recruiting and retaining those pilots. On, on the ground, of course, you also have a, a large staff. Uh, uh, what is the uh, situation as far as your employment of, uh, of personnel on the ground and, and uh, the ticket counters and so forth? Are you facing the same problems that all of the rest of us uh, office are in business? Yeah, maybe so. I'll explain to listeners a little bit about kind of what the role of the airport is. So the airport, if you think about it, we're kind of a landlord. And so... You know, our staffing authorization is 423 people. Uh, we've got about 385 of those positions filled. And so we're your police officer, we're your firefighter, we're your ops inspector for the airfield, we're accountants, uh, attorneys, engineers, planners. That's what we do. We develop, run, and manage it. Most of the services are being provided. Uh, for example, the airline industry provides uh, you know, the airline seat. They, they hire the people that are the ground handlers that handle your luggage. They hire the people that are the ticket counter folks. Those are not airport authority employees. Those are actually uh, private companies. You also have several government agencies. You've got the Transportation Security Administration that handles all the screening. You've got the Federal Aviation Administration, which handles all the air traffic control. And so there's lots of different uh, businesses governmental entities and organizations like ourselves that make up this campus. On our campus alone, we have about 5,000 badges. So each one of these entities and organizations all has their own unique challenge in terms of recruiting. Uh, so for example, ground handling. Uh, it's challenging sometimes to be able to get enough staff from a ground handling standpoint. So their airlines are trying to come with creative ways from a recruiting standpoint and retention standpoint to do that. 
um, FAA. Uh, they're also out there trying to hire enough air traffic controllers. And you may have probably seen some stories in the Northeast uh, where they have asked the airlines to voluntarily reduce their overall flying just because there's a lot of people that are retiring uh, and they're trying to get folks through their training center in Oklahoma City and into the system to manage the air traffic control system as fast as they can. But there's more people retiring faster than they can get them into the system. And so they're asking the uh, airline industry to kind of uh, thin out their schedule in the Northeast a little bit. But again, it, this isn't unique to the aviation industry. I think just about every industry in the entire country suffers the same challenges that we have a workforce much larger workforce that's in the retirement stage, starting to retire. Uh, fewer people that are coming into the actual uh, industry itself. And so we're all trying to come up with creative ways uh, to meet that resource need as we move forward. How has uh, automation and the internet affected the efficiency of the check-in process and the number of employees that an airline has to have to get people safely on the plane on time? you know, it's interesting. You think about it. I mean, these little devices I'm showing you on the, the screen is a telephone. You know, you, your, your iPhone or, or Samsung, whatever your cell phone is, you know, most of the airlines are trying to push their customers to actually check in online 24 hours in advance, get your ticket, pay for your bags, try to automate that as much as you possibly can. So, for example, if you travel frequently um, and you've already checked in online and you're not going to check a bag, you can literally go right to the uh, security checkpoint and go right through the security checkpoint and onto your airplane. So they're trying to make that as what, what we call as frictionless as possible through that process. I think uh, as we are in that 2019 time frame, we started to talk to some of the carriers uh, about facial recognition, uh, where you can use that for bag drops. So I think you'll start to see the airlines starting to make investments again from a biometric standpoint to improve the, the process for the customers, to expedite it and make it as frictionless as possible. So someday you might be able to come right into the garage, walk right through that facility and through biometrics and those types of things, be able to get checked in, drop your bag very quickly and get through security. I think that's what everybody's vision is for the future as they start moving forward. Some time ago, we began to see a trend toward eliminating a lot of the frills at one point in time air tra traffic was uh, our air uh, travel was uh, sort of glamorous it's not as glamorous as it used to be because of all the check-in security problems and all the delays and so forth that are natural in the, in the industry that's growing this rapidly do you see that uh, continuing as far as the no frills approach well, I think it depends upon who you fly. So if you're flying an ultra low cost carrier, um, you know what you're buying. They are going to be bare basic. And again, what the carriers want to do is they want to get you there on time and they want to get you there safely. I think some of the legacy carriers, they do provide additional features, upgrade to first class, additional amenities, food service, those types of things. So it depends upon what you want for an experience. But this is no different than, you know, if you're going to have a streaming service, or um, like Spectrum at your house, you can pick and choose what you want. If you want more of a premium service, there are airlines that provide a premium service. If you want the basic service, you can get the basic service. It just depends what the customer wants. Uh, you can select the airline based upon the level of service that you want. Interesting. So um, the uh, no fails approach uh, is an option, but also the so-called frills or extra advantages are available if if the uh, like first class and so forth 
uh, is available if, if customer wants that. That makes perfectly good sense. I don't know why I even had to ask the question as a matter of fact. <laughs> it's up to you as a customer. You can decide what you want to pay for. Well, we want to talk about uh, things like rental cars and all that sort of thing. We also want to talk about uh, the parking that uh, is a part of the Vision 2040 plan that you have for the Raleigh-Durham Airport. We didn't get to talk about that too much. And also the roadways, because traffic to and from your home to the airport is getting to be almost as expensive as the airline tickets in many cases. And especially when you arrive on scene in places like uh, Disney World or places like that, it seems like the air trans the uh, ground transportation is almost as expensive as the air ticket. So we want to talk about all those things. Uh, with our guest, Michael Lander, who is the president and CEO of the Raleigh-Durham International Airport. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with another segment of our program. You stay tuned. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon... There's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Now once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Michael Langup is our guest. He's the president and CEO of the Raleigh-Durham International Airport. He comes to Raleigh-Durham after uh, serving as the president of the Chattanooga uh, Metropolitan Airport Authority. Uh, And he's been in Raleigh-Durham, what what did we calculate, 22 years now? Is that what we calculated? 12 years. Yeah, sorry about that. 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. Well, uh, that's that's still a long time. And and so... uh, but this is, you've been here during a period of great growth, not only in the Research Triangle area, but also the state of North Carolina. So it, it uh, I guess growth is just, uh, you know, something that is on your mind all the time. And we talked in the first segment about your vision 2040, the plans for extended runways and such as that. But we didn't get around to talking about parking because people have to get to the airport to be able to fly. So what plans do you have to increase parking and making that more available to the consumers. Yeah. So what I would tell you is we're going to take what we call a multimodal approach because not everybody's going to drive a car, not everybody's going to take a bus, but we're we're going to try to make sure whatever mode of transportation you come to, we can actually serve. And so part of the things we're going to do is we're going to improve the roadway system to RDU. 
And so when you get onto campus, you know, you can get to Terminal 1 and get to Terminal 2, and there's a lot of weaving that occurs between Terminal 1 and Terminal 2. We're going to try to clean that up so you don't have to do all that weaving. Provide additional capacity on that roadway system and also expand our curve frontage on Terminal 2. Uh, when Terminal 1 was actually built, it was actually built during a period of time where there was a hub there. And so a lot of customers were coming through there and transferring, but they weren't necessarily driving to that facility. And so we'll expand the curve front. We're also going to develop a ground transportation center that's going to allow all that commercial ground transportation. So any mode you're going to take, you're going to take an Uber, a Lyft, a taxi cab, black car limousine, uh, a bus, doesn't matter. We'll put you in that central location between those two terminals and hopefully allow you to expedite in there, get out of your car or get in and then get back out. From a parking standpoint, you're going to see us take down two small decks right in front of Terminal 2. It's what we refer to parking garage one and parking garage two. And we have to do that because we really need additional roadway expansion or width in that area to meet the long-term demand. And then we'll come back and rebuild that structure. Well, when you do that, you immediately take about 2,500 stalls worth of parking out of play. So we're in the process of expanding our economy lot, not only to meet the reduction of the existing parking deck structures at T2, but also meet the demand for the future. Because again, we have different parking products. I have a premier parking product, which is on the first floor, easy for our customers to get in the facility. I've got a parking central, which is the parking deck, easy to get in those facilities. I have a business express, which is a trunk to curb uh, concept where you pull into this lot, we'll have a van drive right up to your vehicle, give you a bottle of water, help your luggage on board and take you right to the front curb. And then I have an economy lot. So again, just like we were talking about the frills, what do you want to pay for? What level of service do you want? We provide all those levels of service and we want to make sure we've got enough economy parkers, especially with all these ultra low cost carriers and people that are price sensitive. We want to make sure we have an affordable parking location for all those customers coming to RDU. So a little bit about ground transportation, a little bit about our roadway improvements and a little bit about our parking and multimodal strategy here at RDU. Uh, rental cars, of course, are a big uh, thing at airports. Uh, how many rental car companies do we have at uh, Raleigh-Durham? Great question. I think that's up to five at this point in time, five major brands we've got. But within each one of those brands, you've got, for example, you've got Alamo, National, uh, that are all part of an overall group uh, at RDU. So uh, how many, do you have any data on how many rental cars they rent per day or, or per Gosh. week? I don't have any of that data in front of me, but I will tell you is that that is a market that continues to grow. And one of the things we're looking at at our view is developing what we can solve, what we can call a consolidated rental car facility, or we use as an acronym CONRAC, Consolidated Rental Car Facility. And prior to the pandemic, we were looking at building this structure just like a parking structure that would house all of those different brands, all those rental cars that make it very easy for our customers to come right out of the facilities, walk right there, pick their car up and, and um, depart to wherever they needed to go to. And when they return, drop it off right there, don't have to take a bus to the facilities. That was 2019. Pandemic hit, uh, that project went on the back burner. And as we started to recover in 22 and 23, we've opened that project back up to determine what's the right location. I will tell you one of the things we've seen is a little bit of sticker shock from a construction standpoint. So just give you a little idea on a national basis, overall construction from 2017 
has escalated about 44% across the country. Wow. Some places more, more because, you know, there's limited supply of contractors available. And so that drives price up, right? And so we're seeing that that cost of that contract has grown pretty significantly to the point we're having to go back and reevaluate how large, what location, so we can afford something to improve the experience for our customers here at RDU regarding their rental car operations. You know, I was thinking when I was at the state fair, there is similarity between the state fair and the airport and the fact that uh, I love to check out all the different restaurants and types of foods that you have at the airport. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going to take that question. You're talking about state fair and airports. I wasn't yeah. quite sure where that question was going to go. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure you have the grease pickles or whatever, but you have uh, a lot of other choices. Uh, have you added any new restaurants recently? And how important is this to the air traveler? Yeah, so uh, first of all, I will tell you that as we went through the pandemic, uh, our concessionaires got hit very hard. Uh, we wound up losing eight different concepts uh, as a result of uh, the customers just disappeared. Remember, we lost 96% of our customers. Uh, we were about 50% recovered by 2021. And so we're really in our re rebuilding phase. And so some of the things we started to do is La Farm Bakery. Uh, that's something that just came online probably about 12 months ago, and they've done a phenomenal job. Uh, BU Cafe, which is a coffee shop that we're providing pre-security, uh, both Terminal 1 and Terminal 2. That's a new concept. And we're really excited about that. And then, of course, we've got a couple of temporary units we put into play as we build for the future. One's Cantina Grill. The other one's Lone Rider. Both of those are kind of uh, quick grab and grow, go type food. Uh, get a little beer, wine, uh, and enjoy that. But we do have some pretty big aspirations of what we want our concession program to look like for the future. So you're going to start to see 2024 for me is going to be a banner year for the redevelopment of our concession program. You'll see in the first quarter of 2024, we will bring online what we call black and white roasters coffee. So this is a, a local company here in the Raleigh area, well known for people that are in the Raleigh community. We're also going to bring online what we call the Carolina Craft. Carolina Craft is a kind of a charcuterie boards uh, and beers, beers from North Carolina uh, that people can sit down and really enjoy. And then, of course, Crawford Genuine. So Scott Crawford, an award-winning chef right here in our local community, will develop a very nice menu for us. Uh, and hopefully will be on board this first quarter. On top of that, there is 10 more concepts that are coming down the line. And what we did is we did a really nice job of getting out into our community. And majority of these are either from the Raleigh community or Durham community of entrepreneurs, business leaders that are restauranteurs that are going to be coming into our airport, providing great services and great food. So we're going to provide our customers 15 new concepts, all different, providing a host of different opportunities for different types of foods that they can select from. And we're very excited about 2024. Uh, we know we've had some limited um, uh, concessions uh, in 23, but we believe 24 is going to be a great year. And I think our customers are going to be really excited about all the different concepts that are coming forward. A lot of these are local concepts that people know quite well. What about the other types of vendors like big bookstores and uh, souvenir shops and things? Uh, do you see that expanding into new areas? 
So I will tell you the retail side of the program has done exceptionally well. Uh, we do have some of those kind of what we call flight stop type um, uh, facilities where you can get magazines and books and those types of things. We think right now, today, we've got that probably properly sized. But as we continue to grow and expand and add gates, you'll see us continue to expand in that retail side as well. Well, that's that's fascinating. And, and uh, again, uh, the uh, it seems to be a, a lot of fun checking out the restaurants as you wait. And it makes the wait time seem to go much faster. And I think that's sort of part of the travel experience that uh, you're looking for these days. Well, you know, and we, we, we try to encourage our customers to be here two hours in advance. And a lot of that is you got to get parked, you got to get and get checked in, you got to get through screening. And don't forget all the airlines, they start, excuse me, start boarding that airplane 40 minutes before. So a lot of times customers have got, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, gives them an opportunity if they want to go find a magazine or want to get a candy bar or want to sit down real quick for a quick meal or a beverage before they get on board. So hopefully it makes it, um, uh, instead of a stressful environment, a nice environment that they can enjoy some amenities and services before they get on board and look forward to where they're going to travel to, either for leisure or business. Let's talk about the check-in process just a little bit. I know there's been a lot of improvement from when they uh, it first started. Uh, how do you see that uh, becoming even more convenient <clears throat> for the traveler? Uh, again, I think what the airlines are trying to encourage their customers to do as much as they can get you onto your phone through an app to check in, pay for your bags, any upgrades you need, handle it that way where uh, they can make it as frictionless as possible. You don't have to contact somebody and talk to a person. There's always a person available at the ticket counters itself. But if they can improve that experience through their app to process you, it's going to help the experience in terms of you're going to be able to get through those facilities quickly uh, by being able to get all those questions answered on your phone. So I think I see a lot of that. Uh, we've installed quite a few kiosks as well. So those that may not be as savvy on the use of their phone, uh, you can go right to the kiosk and it's pretty intuitive in terms of the buttons you need to click to get checked in and get your bags checked and those types of things. Uh, but again, I think the technology will continue to evolve uh, to try to make it as easy as possible for our customers to get through this facility. One of the things that always seems like it takes longer than uh, you want is uh, when you depart, uh, deplane, and get ready to go home. It seems like that wait to, to pick up your baggage uh, seems always to be a little longer than you expect. What can be done to speed up that process? Yeah, so it's interesting. So we try to track the amount of time it takes from the point that that airplane lands uh, and they open the back door to unload that baggage to where it goes to the baggage carousel. And where we do see those anomalies, we continue to try to bring that to the attention of the airlines because the airport doesn't handle the bags. It's handled by the actual airlines themselves. But if we see anomalies, we try to bring that up to the attention. Sometimes the airlines are familiar with it. Sometimes, for example, during thunderstorm season, when you have multiple planes that are holding in the air till the storm passes and they all come in at once, they weren't staffed to handle 10 airplanes at once. They were, they were scheduled to handle those airplanes over a two or two or three hour period. And so it gets kind of, you know, bunched up. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, uh, crews are sick uh, and they don't have sufficient staffing. But again, we try to continue to uh, highlight where they've got deficiencies uh, to make sure they're delivering those bags as quickly as possible. I know Delta uh, has a 20 minute guarantee that they've put into their system. If you don't deliver it, you can submit a request to them and they will give you bonus miles 
uh, if they don't deliver on their promise. And so I think the airlines are trying to get better. A lot of them have RFID tags now. So when you, you know, put your tag on there, they know exactly where your bag is within the process itself. Uh, to hopefully, uh, if they can't find it, they can through the RFID tag, they can locate it within the building itself and get it to you. So they're making technology improvements and investments. Uh, try to make sure that your bag will get there as quickly as possible and you'll actually get your bag uh, in terms of uh, traveling. That's fascinating. And uh, I have seen a great improvement in that in the last couple of years. And it uh, certainly makes the trip uh, a little shorter getting back home safely to your home and so forth. Well, we've got uh, one more segment and we've got lots of other things we'd like to talk to you about. Uh, our guest is Michael Langa. He is the uh, CEO of the Raleigh-Durham International Airport. And we've been talking about uh, airline travel and airport operations. Uh, we've covered uh, a lot of the Vision 2040 plan, which carries them into the year 2040 with new plans and the expenditure of somewhere around $4.8 billion. Wow. We'll be back with more on Carolina Newsmakers and our discussion with Michael right after we take time out for these messages. What is dedication? The thing that drives me every day as a dad is Dariana. We call him uh, Day Day for short. Every day he's hungry for something, whether it's attention, affection, knowledge. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that when he's no longer under my wing, that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. The craziest thing was believing that your dad knew everything. So as a dad, you felt like you had to know everything. You had to get everything right. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then, you know, it kind of starts to work itself out. I want him to be able to sit back one day and go, we worked together, we did a good job. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Michael Lingam is our guest. He is the president and CEO of Raleigh-Durham International Airport. And we've talked about all sorts of things that have to do with airline operations and airport operations. Of course, one of the things that uh, Michael points out to us is that uh, so many of the employees are actually employees of the airlines and not of the airport, but uh, he, of course, uh, has great knowledge of that whole system and has been able to answer some of those questions. I've got uh, sort of an interesting uh, interest in Terminal 1 because, of course, I go all the way back to when Terminal 1 was it. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, what are your, uh, do you have, uh, how do you bring Terminal 1 up to the standards of Terminal 2? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Um, as we kind of talked early in the program about the replacement of our long primary runway, until that gets completed, you really can't do a gate expansion at Terminal 2. And if you've seen, as I shared with you, 
22 new destinations, 46 additional flights, 23% growth this year, it leads to the question is, don't you think we should be looking at a gate expansion? And we are. So we began the programming phase for Terminal 1 for a gate expansion. We believe that's probably somewhere between 9 and 15 gates. And so as we start to get into that program, how will that facility function? What do we, what do we think the different concepts are? What does the final you know, fixtures and, and environment look like in the building itself? So we're looking at all those things right now. And I think what you'll probably see is us get into a gate program first over at Terminal 1, adding capacity and improving the experience for our customers before we get back to Terminal 2 because we've got to build a runway first. You mentioned earlier that you have some 450 or so employees on the actual airport staff. How many people actually work at the airport, counting the airlines, the rental car companies, the restaurants, the vendors, and so forth? Do you have a total number of employees that actually work at the airport? Yeah, so we have 5,000 badges that we've issued here at RDU. And so that is a combination of thinking of all these different jobs. So Transportation Security Administration hires screeners. The Federal Aviation Administration hires controllers and controls people in airspace. The airlines hire ticket counter folks, um, ground handling staff, pilots, flight attendants. Uh, the rental car companies hire staff. Uh, we've also got our employees that are uh, in the makeup. And of course, we're doing lots of construction. Remember, we've got about a $2.8 billion construction. So we've got uh, private uh, consultant engineers, planners, on-site inspectors, contractors uh, that make up this entire campus and make up those 5,000 badges. Imagine a little mini city. That's exactly what we are. It's a little mini city. And just about any job you can think of that's at a city, that's exactly what we've got here at RDU. So, um how many parking spaces are utilized uh, by the actual employees? Because we talked about parking being a serious problem always as uh, the airport usage goes up. How many parking spaces uh, do you need for employees and where do they park? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I, I think we're averaging about 1,200 to 1,500 cars that are parked for employees uh, on a daily basis. Uh, so again, not all 5,000 employees are here because we run a 24-7, 365 operation. So typically at 5 a.m. in the morning, that's when the first airplane's taking off down the runway. And usually at about 1230 at night, the last airplane's coming in, unless there's weather delays someplace across the country. It's a little bit later. Uh, so uh, a lot of our employees park in Economy 3 uh, and they take a, a shuttle bus in there. Uh, we've got a manager's lot that sit, sits between Terminal 1 and Terminal 2. So if there's manager for one of the private companies, uh, that's where they will wind up parking. Um, but the rest of the spaces, the decks, that's all for our customers. Uh, that's what the service is there for. You mentioned earlier that uh, business travel is returning, uh, but uh, <clears throat> leisure travel has returned a little sooner. Uh, do you anticipate uh, that leisure travel will continue to grow at its present rate or will it sort of top out? Well, you know, it's interesting. When we first came out of the pandemic, I think if you talk to airport directors across the country, we really felt businesses would be the first one that would return. And what we found out, that was the complete opposite. What we saw return was the leisure customers. And so then our next hypothesis was that, well, the first thing they're going to do is go visit their loved ones, go visit mom and dad, 
go visit their, their family members. And then they were going to, the second trip was going to be a vacation. So we thought we would spike and this would eventually kind of fall back to more of a normal level. Well, it never fell off. People continue to travel. And so I think it's a combination of what we're seeing from a population standpoint. So we have a large population that's retiring. And when people retire, what do they want to do? They want to travel. They want to see things. They want opportunity to go places because they've got time. The other thing we've seen is we have a younger generation that really enjoys to travel. So that younger generation, they are spending a lot of money traveling all over the world to experience different things. And so a combination of the demographics and what their interest is, is driving this leisure demand. But also you have what we call a leisure customer. And a leisure customer is a business leisure customer because some companies have allowed their employees to work remotely, right? So if I want to go to Montana and I work for an ABC company, and they say, you can work remotely in Montana, but we're not going to pay for the airline ticket. They're paying their own way out there, but yet they're going out there for business to work, but they're paying their own way. Wow. So it's really transformed, you know, how customers are actually traveling. And the airlines are all trying to figure that out is what's the new cycle. And what we typically see is we're seeing big surges that come in during the holiday period, during the vacation period. Airlines are starting to forecast now that uh, they're starting to see a dip earlier in August than they did before. And it's carrying into September, which typically they were seeing later in August and a little bit of a pickup in September as people came off vacation and businesses were traveling. They're not seeing that as much. And so the early August is people are going to school earlier. And so it's starting to take away that leisure demand. But I think you're going to start to see during the holiday period as we get into November, December, it's going to be very strong, very strong holiday period uh, as we get to the end of the year. But I think that that leisure, I think there's been a fundamental shift uh, in the airline industry where this leisure travel, it is here to stay. And people are looking for great experiences and they enjoy the opportunity to travel and flying is a great way to, to accomplish that. I'm going to sort of change the subject and talk about the airlines for just a moment. Are they doing a pretty good job of maintaining their fleet? And is, Do we have an aging fleet or are we sort of on schedule <clears throat> to keep our airlines fresh and alive with uh, new and more modern planes? Yeah, so I think the airlines are spending a lot more money and in investing in new aircraft. Uh, a lot of it is just the the economics of the fuel efficiency of these new airplanes are coming out. 15 to 20 percent savings on fuel when you're flying the number of hours that they're flying makes a lot of sense to upgrade. I think American Airlines has got multiple orders, 500 plus airplanes, Air India, 500 plus airplanes. You're starting to see across the world significant demand for new airplanes, not just because the you know you have an aging fleet. But they're also looking for efficiency in their operation to reduce overall fuel consumption and save money. So I think you'll continue to see new airplanes enter into the system on a fairly regular basis over the next several years. Because airplanes are so expensive, I'm sure keeping them in the air as much as possible is one of the uh, the focal points of airline planning. Uh, how much time does a plane on average spend on the ground and in the air? You know, that's a great question because that's changed over time. I think what the airlines have done is they used to make everything pretty tight with pretty tight turns to make sure they get that airplane up in the air. But because they're having to clean those airplanes, that ground time is starting to extend. And they're trying to make sure that they have 
great on-time performance. And so those ground times are expanding for cleaning, but also to make sure they can build in a little bit of time for disruptions in the system, whether it's weather, ATC delays, or those types of things. I don't know on average, I think a lot of it would depend upon the type of airplane. So probably smaller regional jet airplanes are flying a lot of point to point. They may take off and land eight times in a day, but it may be a short duration of flight with a longer ground time on the ground. Along uh, those transatlantic aircraft, I mean, they're up in the air, they're flying as much as they can, and then they're on the ground for about three hours, and they're back up in the air again. So I don't know the specifics, but a lot of it depends upon the fleet and how they're utilizing that aircraft. We, uh, earlier in the program, talked about the uh, shortage of pilots. Uh, uh, is that uh, situation getting worse or better? Well, I think it's reached its pinnacle, and I now believe that it's starting to come down a little bit. I, I don't know that we have it totally solved, but I think it's a lot like a lot of businesses, and a lot of different industries. I think everybody's tried to figure out how they're going to try to uh, deal with uh, retirements and turnover in their organization, and they're coming up with strategies, and the airlines have done the exact same thing. They're coming up with strategies in terms of how they try to recruit and retain and develop a pipeline of pilots for the future. So I think they have got a strategy. They're implementing that strategy. So I think it's improving. I don't think we have got it totally fixed, but it looks like they're heading for uh, bluer skies. Now, we also mentioned earlier, of course, the $4.8 billion worth of construction that you anticipate. Uh, when will we start seeing that, uh, that money flow into the local economy? Um, I think you're going to start seeing as I just got a draft of my budget for the upcoming year. And so uh, I think our capital program will go from about 100 million to about 300 million this year alone, uh, this upcoming year alone. So you're, you're starting to see that, you know, get in, get into the system. I would tell you the North Carolina Department of Transportation Division of Aviation does a every two years they do an economic impact analysis. And they concluded that RDU has a $17 billion a year economic impact. Uh, they support more than 85,000 jobs in our region and generate about almost $900 million for the state and local taxes. So you can see we're a large contributor to our local community from an economic development standpoint and economic impact. Uh, and we do appreciate all the support we receive from our community and the region supporting RDU. Wow. Well, thank you so much. for You've covered so much uh, uh, ground in uh, our program today. I would remind the listener, if you've missed any of this and would like to hear a repeat of the broadcast, you can go online to Carolina Newsmakers and hear the entire broadcast. Uh, it's been fascinating to listen. Of course, the Raleigh-Durham International Airport is, a, uh, uh, is governed by the Raleigh-Durham Airport Authority with an eight-member board. Who's your chairman right now? Mr. Ellis Hankins is our chairman of the board. I know Ellis well, and he's he's a fine person, and I'm sure he will give you great leadership. He's doing a great job. Well, Michael, again, thank you so much for answering all our questions. And, of course, uh, we look forward to having you back on and bringing us up to date on Vision 2040 and all the exciting plans of extending new services and uh, serving the citizens of this area better. Thank uh, you, Don. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You have Our a great day. program this week has been produced by Christine Bellino, the news director of uh, Curtis Media Group. And uh, Jason will be back next week, and he'll have another guest for us, I'm sure. And we'll look forward to that. 
So uh, again, if you would like to hear a repeat, a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. It's about 45 minutes in there. So next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.